Praise the Lord for that. Let's stand and take our Bibles, please. Acts chapter 16. Thank you, orchestra. What a blessing. And uh, music's a blessing to the heart. Amen? Amen. Integral part of worship and honoring God, and we thank the Lord for that. Acts chapter 16. We're going to have a wonderful time of congregational singing tonight, special music, and God, God's Word. Preach just for a few minutes, and then the Lord's table, and then we'll have uh, just a time of fellowship there. Acts chapter 16. If you're a guest or visitor today, welcome to Heritage Baptist Church. We're so glad you're here. And hope you feel just really accepted and right, right with the church family today. And I'm going to ask our members, look around you. If you see someone that doesn't have a Bible, or specifically a King James Version Bible, if you share your Bible with them, help them find their place. It'll help them be right at home today. And I know the message will speak to our hearts and be a blessing today. Acts chapter 16. Go with me to verse 25. And we're going to look at a very exciting incident in Paul's life. But, it, you know, we know how the story Kind of turns out, but I want you to see how faith is involved every step of the way. Notice in verse 25, Acts chapter 16. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations, uh, to the foundation of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosened. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out. And he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, and re repeat this with me. Would you read this with me? Verse 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour, and washed their stripes, and was baptized, he and all his straightway. And when he had brought meat into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. Why don't you notice verse 25? Just a great thought. We've got a lot of great thoughts here today on this. But <laughs> verse 25, it says, And at midnight, Paul and Silas, they prayed. Midnight in the Bibles, we'll see, is a time of testing and trial. Midnight determines what type of metal you're made out of. I want to preach a message this morning entitled, Keep Believing When It's Midnight. You might be going through a midnight hour right now, a midnight crisis. There's so many people in our church right now just uh, afflicted with a serious, serious problems of insomnia. They can't sleep through the night and troubled and heartaches and burdens. And it might be you. This morning, as we look at the scripture, I want you to notice how Paul encourages about how we need to keep believing when it's midnight. Father, descend on us this morning. Speak to our hearts. Open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of your word. Encourage our hearts. Build us up in the faith. Be glorified through the message today. Save souls today. Help us as we read the word that God's word would just uh, just convict us and pierce our hearts and work in our souls. And God feed us this morning. Well, thank you for this in Jesus name. Amen. You may be seated. Those of you new to the church, our theme today for our church for 2018 is taken from behind me for Numbers 1330, where Caleb said, to Moses and the children of Israel, we are well able to possess it. And very simply, two words defines our, our theme this year. It's the, the two words, I believe. And believe in the Bible is a, is a great word. We find the word believe 280 times in the English King James Version of the Bible. We find it 
43 times, used 43 times in the Old Testament, 237 times in the New Testament. We look at it in, in several places where it's used predominantly over and over again. The Gospel of John is where we find the word believe used the most frequently. We find the word believe used 85 different times in the Gospel of John. The next most frequent time is in the book of Acts. Right here in Acts, we see it used a minimum of two times. It is used 41 times in the book of Acts. In the book of Romans, it's used 23 times. To believe means to put your confidence in. To believe means to be fully persuaded that something is true and reliable. To believe means that your trust and confidence is in a person, a dogma, or expected outcome. Belief is faith in action. Paul defines faith as this, or believing. We walk by faith and not by sight. Two weeks ago, we saw in our study of Jairus and his daughter, who was at the point of death, we saw what the Lord Jesus Christ told him at a time when he thought that, that there was no hope for him. Jesus told him to be not afraid and only believe. And I said that, that uh, two weeks ago that what Jesus basically was telling Jairus was this. We need to keep believing. Sometimes things happen in our lives to, that will shake our faith. And sometimes things happen in our lives to kind of just jar us off track. As we talked about in our adult Bible hour this morning. And that uh, sometimes things happen to distract us. But the Bible reminds us and God reminds us that we must keep believing. And this morning we're examining the encouragement that we must have on various occasions of time where we must keep believing in spite of things that happen to us. And so tonight, I, this morning, I want you to notice with me this, this, this passage of Scripture, how we need to keep believing when it's midnight. Notice four things about our passage this morning. <clears throat> Number one, we must keep believing when we face the darkened unknown. We must keep believing when we face the unknown. The unknown is when you're not sure what to do and you only have enough light for the very next step. That can be very frightening and scary to many of us. Go with me in chapter 16 and notice as we begin the chapter several things. In chapter 16, Paul is on his second missionary journey. He's going into areas that the Holy Spirit has laid on his heart, but areas that he's never been to before. Areas he's going to travel by foot and by boat to. He's excited. He's enthused. On his first missionary journey was just Paul and Barnabas. He and Barnabas had a split in the relationship. We find that in the previous chapter. Paul now has a new team that he's with. It's a whole new assembly of men that are with him on the second missionary journey. They really haven't worked together, so they really haven't gelled together quite, quite uh, like, like he and Barnabas did. And they hadn't worked together. They're going to territories they hadn't been to before. And we read here in the opening verses, in verses 1 to 6, how God was working through Paul and this new team that consisted of Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Dr. Luke. And we read here that Paul went to Derby and Lystra in verse 1, and while he was there, they asked Timothy to be part of their team. And the Bible says in verses 4 and 5 that he stayed there and he took the, the, uh, the doctrines of Scripture that were given to him by the other apostles and they passed on what we call apostolic doctrine. Now, apostolic doctrine basically means what Jesus taught his disciples, they passed down to, to uh, successive generations. Jesus said, go ye and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. So you can imagine Jesus for three years spent an immense amount of time ingraining and indoctrinating the men, these men of God with what to teach. And now Paul has received these same things. And we read in verse 4, they went through the cities 
and they delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and the elders, which are Jerusalem. Then notice verse five. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. One of the important reasons why we come to church and should be in church is so that we are indoctrinated the word of God. We're established in the faith and that God can increase the numbers of his church as people are added to the work of God. Now, Paul is feeling very confident this moment of time. He's feeling like his faith is right in, in alignment with God. He's feeling like, man, we're exactly where we need to be. We're in Derby and Lystra, and we need to be keeping going, and we're just going to keep on going for the Lord. And they finished what they were determined to do there. And notice, as we read verses 6 and 7, God is taking them on a pathway. So Paul just is determined. He's looked on his Roman map, and he's determined on his pathway. We're going to go northeast. And maybe his goal was to go towards Asia. He's going northeast, and as we read verse 6, it says that they had gone through the throughout Persia and the region of Galatia. They went up northeast, this wide, expansive area. If you have a map, you can look at it later on. This wide, expansive area known as Persia and Galatia was northeast from where they were at there in Derby and Lystra. But we read something very interesting. We read where the, the Bible says, the Holy Spirit suffered them not. Now, we want to notice this morning that Paul was at a place where there were some, some unknowns that God put before him. He just didn't know what was he supposed to do. Now, I want you to think with me for just a minute. As we go along the Christian life, there are times where we're not really sure what to do. You might get, you might be out of a job and you're looking at, you know, where do I apply next? Or you maybe look at a career change. What should I do? And you're facing what is called the unknown. Maybe you're at a place where maybe there's a downsize of your corporation or maybe your company is moving the job overseas and you still need to work and to pay the bills and you're kind of wondering, what do I do next? Or maybe you get diagnosed with a serious illness or a loved one gets diagnosed with a serious illness. You're this place in life, what do I do? Or maybe you're just at this crossroads in life where things have happened in your life and you're just facing this question, what am I supposed to do? And you know, the dark and unknown, as I call this first point, is when God puts detours in your way and my way, closes doors and redirects you. It's when God puts detours before us, closes doors and redirects us. Maybe some of you are going through that right now. Maybe after this morning's message, this will happen to some of us during this week. The dark and unknown is when you cannot see further than the very next step. And you're wondering, how much light will God give me for that? Now, what is the dark and unknown? Well, notice verses 6 through 9. First of all, the dark and unknown is when God says no. Now, every now and then, God's going to tell you and me, no. God's going to say, it's not going to happen. I read the story about two boys who went over to their grandparents' house. And, uh, and, the, and they were, there was a godly Christian family. And so it was nighttime before they were supposed to go to sleep. And these boys, two boys got down and they started to pray together. But the younger one started to be very, very loud and very boisterous in his praying. And he started shouting at the top of his lungs. And he was praying a prayer like this. He was saying, God, you know, I, I'm just praying right now that you give us a new 10-speed bicycle. And God, I pray right now that I can get a new Xbox console. And God, I'm praying right now for a new Amazon boom, okay? And he's praying these prayers. And finally, the older brother says, man, chill out, guy. He says, what's wrong with you? Why are you shouting at the top of your lungs? He says, God is not deaf. To which the younger son said, the younger brother said, I know God is not deaf, but grandma is. And I want to make sure she hears everything that I say, man. You know, sometimes the, we, we have to realize that God says no to us. Notice what happens to Paul here in verses 6 and 7. It says, when they had gone throughout Persia in the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost. Can you imagine that? The Holy Ghost. You say, well, pastor, I thought God wants everyone to hear the gospel. He does. 
I got a, I thought, Pastor, I thought God wants to, the door, He wants to door open everybody. He does. But for whatever reason, God had forbidden Paul to go to Persia and Galatia to preach the word of God there in that part of Asia Minor. We go to verse 7. And when they were come to Mysia, they say to go to Bithynia. Again, they're still going northeast and they're going to another location. But notice verse 7. It says, but the Spirit suffered them not. Hey, we find that God is closing doors. God specifically told them you're not going. We don't know what happened, how God closed those doors. But it, God made it very clear to them through the Holy Spirit. They were not supposed to go there. God says no. Brother and sister in Christ, there are times in our life. God says no. First of all, there's the revealed no's. God's word tells us where we're not supposed to go. And we should obey that. And then there's sometimes where the, uh, where, where God doesn't necessarily reveal it through his word, but he puts it, he puts something before us. He says, that's not where I want you to go. I think about the building campaign. I think about how God led us to 2960 Merced Street. And I think of things God has done in our church and done in our life. There are just times when God says no. Sometimes our praying is not in alignment with God's will. And God says no. Brother and sister Christ, God may say no to you. And he may be saying no to you right now. That doesn't mean God doesn't love you. That doesn't mean God doesn't know the bigger picture because he does. But there are times God says no. It could be timing. It could be it could be maybe it's over our head. It may be because God doesn't want us to set ourselves up for failure. It could be that it's not God's will. Whatever it may be, we must be sensitive to the fact that the dark and unknown sometimes is when God says no. But notice letter B. God not only tells us no, God sometimes tells us slow. He says, slow down. Notice in verse 7, they're, they're at this place where God, twice God has told in four areas, no. Now we go to verse 8, and they passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. Now Troas is a very important place. We read later on in Acts chapter 20, Troas is a place where a church actually gets started. I think because of what Paul did there, because we're not given exactly the amount of time he was there. He was there at least one day, maybe two days. But down there, some seeds were planted. And we read later on in Acts chapter 20 that a thriving church was established down there, Troas. But it was a Troas. God had Paul slow down and stop there because he had said no to four different locations. Paul had walked hundreds of miles to go to these locations. God said no. Now he goes down to Troas. And there at Troas, God says, slow down. There are times when God says no, there are times that God says slow. Notice why God did that. In verse 8, in verse 8, he's at this place. Paul is contemplating what to do. I believe Paul was at a place, as we read verse 9, where he went to deep prayer. He wanted to know God's mind. He was burdened about the fact, why is God telling me no? Why is it the Spirit suffered is not? He wants to know an answer. Let me tell you, sometimes when God says no, those are perfect times for us to stop and let God say slow down and let God speak to our heart and for you and I to put our will into His will, for us to say, not my will be done, but thine be done, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Many times we may have well laid out plans and we may think, I'm going to go here and I'm going to do this and I'm going to climb the corporate ladder and I'm going to go from this to this to this to this to this. And sometimes God says no along the way. And when he says no, we must be careful to slow down and say, okay, God, what is it exactly you want me to do? College student, I want to encourage you, high school student, if God doesn't open the door for you to go to specific school, that's because God loves you. I want to tell us that tonight, this morning, as friends, that if God doesn't want you to have a certain job or certain possession or go to a certain destination, it's because God loves you. And notice as he does so, Paul goes to prayer in verse 9, and we see that Paul had a vision that appeared to him in the night. I mean, it was a vision of God. God spoke to him. God brought Paul to the place when he slowed down to where his heart was tender and his eyes would be open and he was willing to be taught from God what to do. Hey, many of us who have type A personalities or many of us who are very stubborn in nature who think we've got it down and we're into strategic planning and we're used to all the corporate planning. Sometimes God has to slow you and me down to get to the place of just saying, wait a minute, open your eyes. I have a bigger plan in mind than you really think about. 
And we notice in verse 9 that he receives a vision from the Lord. And this vision was clear as day. And in verse 9, there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him saying, come over into Macedonia. And notice these two, these three words, and help us. The vision God wanted Paul to realize as he slowed down. There was a need, but there was a need up in Galatia. There was a need up in Persia. There was a need in Bithynia. There was a need in Bithynia. But God had him stop at trust because God says, I know there's a need there and I'll take care of that need. But he said, Paul, I want you to realize there is a pressing read right now in an area south, northwest of there called Macedonia. And he says, I want you to go there. And he helped him see a vision of a man who said, help us. And Paul was a man when he heard those two words, help us. He recognized there was a need that was calling him. A need for him to say, that said, I must respond and go there. There are times when God tells us to slow down and listen. But notice something else here. Sometimes the dark and unknown is when God says no. And sometimes the dark and unknown is when God says slow. But the dark and unknown eventually leads us to a place where God says go. And listen, Paul, as he saw that vision as clear as day, now he realized after several weeks of walking, after closed doors, after God slowed him down to this location, he realized there was something specific God wanted to do. And notice in verse 9, it was clear as day. There stood a man in Macedonia and said, you need to come over to our region. You need to come over to our place. And because there is a needer, please Come and help us. And notice verse 10. And after we'd seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called for us to preach the gospel unto them. God showed Paul when it was time for him to go. He said here that they had seen the, he had seen the vision. He shared it with his team. And the Bible says immediately they endeavored to go. They said immediately they packed up their bags. They got ready. They, there was no time to delay. They got motion. And the Bible says, assuredly gathering together. We get our word symbiotic from that, that term, assuredly gathering. They were of one mind. They were harmonious. They were on the same page. They knew exactly that's what God wanted them to do. God said to go. And God told them, that's exactly where I wanted you to go to hear the gospel preached. Now, may I say this this morning in application. The dark and unknown. There are times when God tells you no. And there are times when God says slow. But when he slows us down and he makes clear what we're supposed to do where we're supposed to go, how we're supposed to do it, then we must understand when God makes his clear as day, it's time for us to go and to honor God. I wonder this morning, it might be that God has slowed you down and got you at a place where you're kind of wondering out of frustration, why has God put me here? We need to stop and ask God to open our eyes to his word and behold wonderful things from the word of God that we may know exactly where God wants us to be. We said this morning in our, in our, in one of our adult, our combined adult classes this morning, we talked about the matter of priority and we talked about the fact how one man said that we must be able to discern from the important and from the urgent. There's a lot of urgent things to do, but in order to keep our priorities right we must always be clear on what is important and many times when god slows you and me down it's because we are dealing with urgent matters not the important matters look the important matters that we glorify jesus christ the important matters that we preach the gospel the important matter is that we walk within the will of god the important matter is that we please the lord in whatever we do listen this morning you need to keep believing when there's the dark and unknown when the doctors have more questions and answers than answers and the doctors are not sure what to do and the counselor's not sure what to do and you're not sure what to do. You're not sure what to do with your crisis. You're not sure what to do with your career and all those things. Listen, God is in control, but we must understand when there's a dark and unknown, we must just keep believing in God. Notice number two this morning. We must keep believing when there's the dark and unknown. But notice in verses 13 to 18, we must keep believing when there's a dramatic unfolding. Now, Paul was at a place. We knew that God, it was very clear to him where God wanted them to be. 
And calls, now God has led Paul and his team to an area called, an area called Macedonia. As we read verses 10 to 13, specifically to a city called Philippi. Notice verse 11. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia. And the next day to Neapolis, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony. And, a, and uh, we were certain, we were in that city abiding certain days. Now there were a question in Paul's mind. They had never journeyed through Philippi before. They knew a little bit about Philippi, because that's how God led them there. But it was a chief city. It was a thriving city. It was an abundant city. There were a lot of people in that city. It was a modern city. So they knew God had led them there. But there were questions on their mind at this moment. They only had enough light for the very next step. They didn't know really what they are supposed to do. And so the question come to mind is, well, we're supposed to go start a church. Where are we supposed to go? And we're supposed to start a church. We don't know anybody. Uh, we're supposed to start a church. I mean, how are we going to get this done? What's, how are we going to do it? And who are we going to meet? How are we going to get there? And we see God is unfolding things one step at a time. When I call it, I define it as a dramatic unfolding. You know, one of the blessings of the Christian life is learning to walk by faith and not by sight. It's learning that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delighteth in his way. And leading, learning that what I tell the church all the time, God only needs to give you and me enough light for the very next step. Sometimes we want to know five steps ahead. And sometimes we didn't want to know five years ahead and ten years ahead. But we don't know. And by the Bible says sufficient for the day is the evil thereof. And we must understand God is only obligated to give you and me enough enough light so that we can determine what is the very next step. But you know what? That's a blessing because we can trust in the Lord with all our heart when that happens. Amen? We can trust in the Lord with all our hearts and lean not to our own understanding that in all our ways we can acknowledge Him and He shall direct our paths. He tells us, be not wise in thine own eyes, but fear the Lord depart from evil. Notice how Paul and, and Silas and the team see God encouraging their faith to keep believing through a dramatic unfolding. First of all, notice in verses 12 and 13, we see the tested strategy. They're going there. They want to know what should we do? And there, so now they come down to verse 12. They're there in the city of Philippi and they're there for several days. The Bible says now they're serving the city. They're trying to figure out what to do. And, I, and I'm of the belief as we read this chapter, there may not have been a thriving Jewish synagogue there. Call Paul's strategy wherever he went. He always looked for a synagogue. Why? Because he would use his credentials as a rabbi. He would go there and they would give a visiting rabbi the opportunity to address them. And as he did so, he could give the gospel to them. And, he started, and they would know who he is and he could answer arguments and reason with them through the gospel. And he would develop prospects for that that he could start a church with. But that's not how God was going to start the church at Philippi. In fact, if you look at Acts chapter 16, the church at Philippi, started based on what most church planners would say today in an unconventional way. They went to a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. We read verse 13 and here's what they came down to. They learned, they learned something about a tested strategy. They learned that the synagogue was not there. That's what he looked for. They learned that what they had in mind as far as their strategic plan was not there. Listen, many times strategic planning is when we have a well thought out plan as to how we should do something for our success. But strategic planning has a rightful place and strategic planning has a, has a place where it should not be. You know, and we have to understand something. God's work, God doesn't need you and me to accomplish his work. But we need God to accomplish his work. Amen. We need God. We need God very desperately. We need God in order for his will to be done. And so we notice here the key word we find in verse 13 here is on the Sabbath. We went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. They heard about a prayer meeting where a number of ladies assembled there on the riverside and they prayed. And they thought, well, that's a good thing. And let me encourage this morning. The test of strategy as we see the unfolding events of God in our life is to just pray and to seek God and ask God what to do. You say, Pastor, I prayed, but you need to keep praying. It's like John Bunyan said, there's there's a lot we can. He 
says you can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you've prayed. And Paul, as we read Acts chapter 16, there's much prayer emphasis giving. The church at, at Philippi was started through prayer. The church at Philippi was sustained through prayer. The church at Philippi succeeded through prayer. Prayer was how they got the mind of God. Prayer is where they got the next step is what to do. Let me encourage you this morning. Pray about everything. Commit everything to God in prayer. Pray about your next step. Pray about what you should do with your life. Pray about the friendships you have. Pray about where you should serve. Pray about how to serve the Lord. Pray about what you should do at work. Pray about everything. Pray about the steps you should take. Don't look at a curveball or when God shuts the door on you as being God's way of just punishing you. He's not punishing you. God is directing us so that we would learn to pray and put our trust and dependence upon Him. We see the test of strategy. But notice through this test of strategy, we see God working through Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke. And notice in verses 14 through 18, we see the tremendous salvation. Paul's reason why he went to Philippi was not on a vacation. And Paul's reason why he went to Philippi was not to find out the new resort that was down there. And Paul's reason why he went to Philippi was not because he had some relatives there that he wanted to pay, that he wanted to pay a visit to. No, he was down in Philippi for the supreme reason. God led him there to start a church and to preach the gospel and to win souls to Jesus Christ there. And so he's praying about, Lord, how do we start the church and where does the church begin? And by the way, they didn't have a building to start off with. They just had to obey and follow God. And the Bible says there in verse 13, they went down to the riverside and started speaking to the women which resorted thither. And notice verse 14, the very first convert God gives them there at the church at Philippi. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, who worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. What a wonderful thought. The very first convert happened to be a lady that lived on a different area. She lived on, she came from the area of Thyatira. She, uh, and Thyatira was known for, uh, for the manufacturing of garments and purple and for its dye. And this woman was a merchandiser of garments and things like that. She was a very wealthy woman. She was a very well-to-do woman. We read here in verse 14 through 16, she had a home there. Most likely she had a home in Philippi where she did much business and her business Right, and most likely she had a home back in Thyatira where there was a manufacturer of the dye and 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 and, the, and her merchandise there. And God, this woman was religious. This woman was a woman that went to church and she worshipped and so forth. But this was a woman who at, at that day found out that she wasn't saved. Listen, you can be religious and still go to hell. You can be religious and not be saved. It's important that we not rest ourselves on religion saving us, but realize it's a relationship with God's Son, Jesus Christ, that saves us. And this woman started to realize as the preaching of the gospel was being done there at the riverside. And you just imagine these four preachers kind of feeling kind of awkward. They don't have a pulpit to stand behind. They don't have a synagogue to stand up in. But there's these women and God had given them an audience with a bunch of people. They just started talking about the Lord as they did so. This one woman who was from a foreigner from out of the area, Lydia, the Bible says God opened her heart. God's word spoke to her. She got comfort from the word of God and she attended to the things which she heard and she got saved when her heart was open. This woman was the very first convert that got saved. A woman who gave her heart to the Lord and not only did she get saved, but verse 15, we, we, follow, we find later on, immediately she was baptized there. I get the feeling that after she got baptized there at that riverside, Paul explained to her about identifying with Jesus Christ and death and, uh, through baptism, identifying with his death, burial, and resurrection. And maybe right there at that riverside that they took her and she was baptized there and God did some wonderful things. Well, that wasn't the only convert. We move a little bit further down. We notice in verses 17 to 18, verses 16 to 18. 
Paul is there many more days. He's seeing God bless and he's seeing God open doors. Again, it's a dramatic unfolding. God's just unfolding things one day at a time. He showed him the strategy was to pray. He showed him that God was, was still in the soul saving business. They didn't know Lydia from, from anybody else, but Lydia got saved. And then later on, as they're there, they find this very, very, uh, very sad situation. They find as they were praying in verse 16, again, they're at prayer. They find a certain teenager, a certain damsel that was demon possessed. The Bible says she was possessed with a spirit of divination. Now, that phrase, the spirit of divination, is a kind of interesting phrase. You might want to write this in your Bible as a Bible student. The spirit of divination is where we get our word python from. And the idea of python takes us back to Greek mythology of a, of a large serpent that guarded an area there. And literally, this woman was, was being, was being uh, crushed, if you would, and being, being, being just... Uh, she had a, a serpent's hold that was on her, a stranglehold of Satan that was on her. And Satan had gotten control of this woman. We're not sure how it happened. But because of that, there were certain men who took advantage of her and made merchandise of this young woman. And they used her to, to give uh, oracles and prophecies to people there. And the Bible says in verse 16, And it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel, possessed with the spirit of divination, she met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. These people were taking advantage of them. Oh, young people, please listen to me. And please, some of us here this morning who look at opportunities and think that everything that glitters is gold. May I remind you this morning, everything that glitters is not gold. And not every opportunity is the right opportunity. And be careful of being manipulated. And being careful of being used. And be careful of someone trying to take advantage of you. And be careful of all these kind of things that happen. And this woman was taken advantage of. And the Bible says they used her, that the, the demon could speak through her and give these weird prophecies to people about their, about their direction, about their lives and through this they were making much gain and she saw when paul came in verse 17 she recognized because the demon inside of her that the spirit of god was in paul and these and and the other men and she made the statement and cried out so that everyone publicly could hear these men are the servants of the most high god which show unto us the way of salvation paul was preaching the gospel he was looking for people to get saved he was just being faithful day after day and week after week proclaiming the gospel and here comes this this teenager who's possessed with demons and she cries out oh these men are the servants of the most high God, which showed us the way of salvation. This girl was looking for liberty. She was looking for freedom. She was looking for release from her, her, her bondage that she was in. And she was trying to find some way. And we read something very interesting that should touch our hearts. In verse 18, the Bible says, and this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, hey, you know, Paul was at a, such a place in his Christian life, was such a place in his prayer life, that he didn't let the things around him morph him. He didn't let the things around him made him insensitive or hardened. Hey, you know what? We get like that. I mean, you think with me for just a minute. We're at a place in our society, murder doesn't bother anyone. We're at a place in society, you mentioned the word abortion, it doesn't bother anyone. We mentioned these things, there are atrocities that go on around us day after day and week after week, it doesn't bother us. But Paul was at a place, as he heard this girl cry out week after week and day after day, the Bible describes how he felt about it, that he was grieved in the spirit. And listen, Paul turns around, he commands a demon to come out of that woman, and miraculously the demon comes out, and miraculously this woman gets saved because she believes on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm just saying today, Paul was looking for how God was doing things and God was dramatically unfolding the starting of his church. A businesswoman gets saved. A teenager that's tormented by demons gets saved. Hey, praise God. God builds his church the way God is glorified. I'm thankful yesterday as we opened the service to tell you that yesterday we had a good number of our folks who just responded to the challenge Sunday night. Sunday night, I preached from the message from Proverbs 14, 4, that, that uh, much increases by the strength of an ox. And as we were preaching away about the importance of strength in numbers, we had a, a good turnout, <coughs> excuse me, a good turnout of our people that came to church 
yesterday for soul winning and they're busy people but our area the air several of our cities were canvassed with just our people out there and just reports were coming in after 11 30 of people getting saved and we thank the lord the nine uh, conversion salvations occurred and people that bowed their head and trusted christ their savior i mean thank god for transforming tremendous salvations that occur we have in the midst here in the right here in the, the service this morning just about two sunday nights ago a man who came with his wife bowed his head at the end of the service and trusted jesus christ as his personal savior thank the lord for that i'm just saying thank god for tremendous salvation Paul is starting to see the light now. Paul is starting to see God unfolding. It's starting to make sense to him why God closed the doors in four other areas and God led into Macedonia. And Paul is being reinforced in his mind as he heard the term, help us, help us, help us. He realized, man, these people do need help and they need us greatly. And that, that phrase, help us, was just burning in his heart and mind. We see the tremendous salvation. But notice something else. Remember, they're starting the church. Now we've got four men and two ladies. We've got six people. Listen, all you need is two people to start a church. Amen. We're two or more gathered in my name, Jesus said. There am I in the miss them. They needed a place to meet. There was no synagogue there. There was no temple there. And uh, Lydia just, she's in a faithful heart. Notice in verse 15, she makes a statement that when she was baptized and her household, by the way, there's their servants she had that got saved. And she besought to them saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. Hey, listen, God gave them a timely station. Things are unfolding. They didn't know where they were supposed to meet. Things are unfolding. They didn't know where they were supposed to start. Things are unfolding. They didn't know who they were going to talk to. But God is taking care of all that. Praise His name. And God is giving them this tested strategy. As they prayed, God led them to people. As they prayed, God was saving souls. As they prayed, God gave them a place to start. Listen, I'm thankful as we read this from a church planning standpoint. Listen, we don't necessarily need a place necessarily that we can identify with as long as we have the people. And they have the people. And God gave them the place. She said, you can start there. And there, the church at Philippi could claim that its first location for the church was the home of the this woman by the name of uh, this woman by the name of Lydia, she opened her home up. God gave them a timely station. I remind you today, keep believing for a dramatic unfolding of God's blessings. Keep believing for God to unfold his good plan in your life. Just trust him step by step along the way. Let him unfold things and show you exactly what he wants to do there. I reminded this morning of Psalms 37, 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. I reminded this morning in Proverbs 16, 9, a man's heart devises way, but the Lord directed the steps. And that's exactly what God was doing with Paul. Providentially, Paul's heart was set going a certain way, but God redirected his steps. Brother and sister in Christ, don't be angry with God, and don't be upset with God, and don't be frustrated at the process, and don't be frustrated yourself. Realize God, step by step, unfolds the way. Your heart might devise the way, but it's the Lord who directs your step. You trust God today to guide your steps. The Bible says in Psalms 32, 8, I will instruct thee in teaching the way in which thou shalt go. May we trust God and believe God for every step we take. Just keep believing. Keep believing. God knows what he's doing. And keep believing that God's going to lead you to the path where you're supposed to be and the location you're supposed to be in. Notice, number one, we say keep believing when you have a dark and unknown. Number two, we say keep believing for a dramatic unfolding. But notice very quickly, number three, keep believing when there's the undesirable. And notice in Paul's life, there's the damaging undesirable. A hurtful, undesirable. Listen, along the way, we, what happens to Paul is something we would never pray for in our lives. What happens to Paul is something we would never desire in ourselves. But Paul is here 
And uh, and they've had this 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 war, Lord, the Lord working and the demons come out of this this girl in verse 18 as she did. So notice verse 19, those who controlled her, those who manipulated her were not very happy with what happened. They were very angry. In fact, notice verse 19, when her masters, so by the way, aren't you glad Jesus became her master? Amen. It says, and when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers. Paul and Barnabas now are seen as bad guys. They're not seen as good guys. They're not seen as being being someone who brought stability to their city and brought Jesus Christ to their city. They didn't see that. Listen, Paul and Silas, number one, are being falsely accused. Sometimes the undesirable in our life is being falsely accused. People don't understand what's going on. They don't have all the answers. People make a judgment call without all the facts. May I remind us this morning, sometimes everything we see is not exactly what we think we see. May I remind us this morning, many times we need to go beneath the surface and instead of developing a critical spirit and just making caustic accusations, we must go to the source itself and say, could you tell me, am I right about this? And instead of being ballistic about it, may we have a Christ-like spirit and not let what we see affect our spirit and destroy us in that, in that content. Sometimes we can get this isolationist mindset that the, we're the only ones that are right and we're the only ones that have it right and we're the only ones that are biblical. May I remind you, Elijah felt the same way and God had to rebuke him and tell him, listen, there's 7,000 that have not bowed their knees there. Remind you today, you can be around the Christian life for so long that you can have your head in the sand like an ostrich. You can forget there's a lot of things going on that God's in control. Of. And in spite of some things we don't control, what we can control, those things where God is allowed to have control in our lives. And notice we see Paul's falsely accused. Notice how he's accused. First of all, they were attacked for their descent. The Bible says they brought these men to the magistrate saying, these men being Jews. Hey, sometimes you're going to get you're going to get attacked for your ethnicity. Sometimes you're going to get attacked for your culture. I mean, that's just the nature we're in. Just face it. We're, we're in a day and age that outside the local, local New Testament church where there's just there's hostility based on the race war and so forth. Hey, aren't you glad today that there were, the Bible says in Galatians 3.28, there's unity in Jesus Christ where neither Jew nor Greek nor male or female. And aren't you glad this morning we can come together as a congregation and worshiping God through the English language here in this heritage center. We can glorify and exalt our Savior, Jesus Christ. And let us be careful that we don't develop an elitist mentality about who we are and about our descent. These men, these people down there, Philippi, these Grecian people took him and they said, these men being Jews, they said they're coming. They were attacking them because of their descent. But notice, secondly, they were attacking them because of their doctrine. Notice they said, these men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither observe being Romans. Hey, I like it. Sometimes I'll knock on a door and ring a doorbell and I'll go tell somebody I'm from Heritage Baptist Church and they'll say something like this. I don't want anything having to do with Baptists. You guys are too strict. What? I don't want anything to do with Baptists because you guys preach the Bible. Yeah, yeah we do. I don't want to do with Baptists because you knock on my door. The Jehovah's was just here, witness here and I kick them off, but I can't kick you off because I've got to listen to what you've got to say, man. He's being attacked for his doctrine. Hey, you stay around Heritage Baptist Church enough. Like I told somebody yesterday, I said, listen, they said, well, we're looking for a certain type of arrangement for the church. Remind you that it doesn't matter what the arrangement if the arrangement, first of all, does not emphasize the winning of souls. And if the emphasis does not emphasize the ingraining of the doctrines of God's word in our life. And if the and if the emphasis does not prepare us and equip us for serving God, then our emphasis is wrong. 
Our emphasis is not fit what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4. Remind this morning, a biblical church evangelizes. A biblical church edifies. A biblical church equips there. It's not all these other things that we try to do. Those are things that are all good. We try to fit that in where they're biblical. But remind today, they were talking Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke for their doctrine. Listen, brothers and sisters in Christ, keep believing because the doctrine you believe in the word of God is true and it's real and it's authentic because it came down from heaven above. They were attacking them for their descent. They were capping them for their doctrine. But notice, <coughs> they were attacking them for being disruptive. They said they do exceedingly trouble our city. They weren't troubling the city. Talk about an exaggeration. Is he your troublemaker? I'll tell you right now, gospel preaching churches are not well received by most people. We call it a troublemaker. Disrupting the city. Everybody wants to put their arms around one another, but we have to understand there's a clear, clear line of demarcation and realize there are times when we must embrace, but there's times we must let go. We must understand there's a time to laugh, there's also time to weep. We must understand this morning, there's a time to take a stand. And Paul was not being disruptive to the fact of anything. Paul was helping to change that city for its good. He was there for the welfare of the city. Listen, the city was getting cleaned up. It's like the song that we sing. What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. And since Jesus came into my heart, listen, like one, one preacher said, since Jesus came into my town, the devil's been wearing a frown. And listen, that ought to be the mentality we have about when we bring the gospel in and we try to get people's lives saved. We're trying to change them for the better. And listen, this morning, we look at Paul, he was being falsely accused. But notice something else in verses 22 to 24. Paul was fiercely abused. Now, how do you go from. How do you go from winning souls? And God gives you a building to meet in. And you've got a, you've got at least six people, maybe more than that. To now you're being falsely accused. And now they take you, and notice what they did with Paul. They took him and Silas, verses 22 and 24, and they beat the, they beat the tar out of them. The Bible says they ran off their clothes, they stripped them in public and commanded to beat them. And then the Bible says in verse 23, they laid many stripes upon them and cast them into prison. And they put their feet in stuck. I mean, they were in a terrible place. They were, they were at a place where they were being fiercely abused. They were beaten. They were flogged. They were publicly humiliated. They were called prisoners. They were called, they were, they, they, the judgment came down without a trial there. They were in prison, treated as if they were violent criminals. Listen, the damaging, undesirable, our events and experience, we would never dream about going through. And it doesn't have to be imprisonment. It could be the diagnosis of a serious illness. And then the doctor says, well, I want you to start these series of treatments. And your whole body, DNA structure is altered because of those treatments. Your life is upside down because of that. Or sickness sets in and you're, there's no medicine that can get you well. Listen, the damaging, undesirable are events and things that happen in our life that we would never wish on anybody else and we would never pray for in our lives. But that's what's happening to Paul there. The damaging, undesirable was coming down. They were unplanned, turbulent and hurtful events that turned their world upside down. Listen, we go from a place where Paul is believing God for the unknown. We're at a place where God is, Paul is believing God for the unfolding. But now he must keep believing God for the unbearable. Hey, what are this morning, if you're going through circumstances and trials and tribulations, in your life, would you trust God and believe God for the unbearable? You say, well, what did Paul do? Well, that leads us to our last point. Would you notice one other thing? Paul kept believing in spite of the unknown. And Paul kept believing 
believing when there things, things were unfolding. And call, Paul was believing as things were unbearable. But notice in verses 25 to 34 as we close this morning. Listen, Paul kept believing because of the unmistakable. And the unmistakable is this as we read verses 25 to 34. Paul had not at one time. Not at one time did Paul have any doubt in his mind he was in the perfect will of God. Not at one time did Paul doubt that God had him where he was supposed to be. His mind traveled back to Acts 16, 9, when he got the vision of the man in Macedonia. And the man said, come over and help us. It didn't say, come over and have a vacation. It didn't say, come over and I'll give you comfort. It didn't say, come over and I'll make you successful. He said, come over and help us. Paul had embedded his heart and mind that God was at work. There was something unmistakable. The dynamic unmistakable was happening. God had him there for a purpose. And he didn't see his flogging. He didn't see his imprisonment as being punishment or chastening. He saw it as God working things throughout his life. Listen, when we read Acts chapter 16, I can't help but think that this began the seed beginnings for Paul writing Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Paul is showing us this morning, we can keep believing when we see the dynamic, unmistakable. He saw God at work in their lives. Notice verse 25, the very first thing we see is that we see how did Paul keep believing with the with all these things going on in his life? How did he know it was unmistakable? Well, notice first of all, verse 25, he has a positive perception. Your perception of things determines your attitude. Did you know that? If you think it's if you if you walk outside later on and say, oh, it's going to rain. You're just, if you believe that, even though it's sunshine out and it's not going to rain, you're just going to you're going to have a bad day. Maybe you go outside and say, man, we get to sign the wall. I get to put my name there. And I'm going to, it's sunshine out there. And you have a positive attitude. Guess what? You're going to have a positive attitude. Amen. And notice Paul, the perception he had was one that was positive. Notice in verse 25, it was midnight. Paul and Silas faced a midnight moment. Listen, it was at midnight. The death angel came to Egypt and a great cry was heard throughout all the homes of Egypt because the firstborn were being taken. David said at midnight, I will rise to give thee thanks. But if you read the context of Psalms 119 where he said that, he said that at a time when he was going through deep trials and persecution, great afflictions he described. It was at midnight, the bridegroom, at midnight, the bridegroom will come for his bride. And that's a good thing. But those who were not prepared, who didn't have their candles lighter, not enough oil in their candle, who were basically the unsaved, they wept during that time. It is at midnight when Eutychus fell out of a window from the third law. As I said earlier this morning, midnight is, is a picture for us of trials and difficulties and turbulent events that happen in our life. But notice for Paul, he's bleeding, he's broken, he's hurt, his skin is laid open, he doesn't have a shirt on, he's publicly humiliated, he's been in prison, his feet are in stocks, he's been called guilty, he's been called vile names, everything wicked you could think of happened to him, he's falsely accused, he's fiercely abused, is Paul down in the dumps, is Paul complaining, is Paul cursing, is Paul mad at God? Absolutely not, amen? At midnight, Paul prayed and sang praises to God. He had, a, he had a positive perception about what's going on. He reminds me that at that moment in time, he knew God led him to that critical moment. I'm reminded of the story of a preacher and his song leader who started having a feud. <laughs> the preacher and song leader started having disagreements about things. It was, it was just basically uh, preferences that they had. And it got so bad that the preacher was getting upset with the song leader. The song leader got upset with them. They wouldn't, they wouldn't talk to each other. Finally, one day, the preacher got up to preach a message. And the message he preached was on the on the matter of commitment. And right after that, he asked the song leader to come to lead a song. And the song leader chose a song entitled, I Shall Not Be Moved. Well, the preacher got the next Sunday, he started preaching again, and he preached on giving and how we should gladly give to the Lord. And the, pre- the song leader came up after that, and he led the congregation singing, Jesus paid it all. The following Sunday after that, he gets up and he starts talking, preaching against gossip and talking about each other and the sins of the tongue. And the, and the song leader came up, and after that, he led them in singing, I love to tell the story. 
Then the preacher got so frustrated because of the song that he kept on doing those kind of things. He got up one morning and he came to the pulpit. And he says, you know, I just feel like today I'm going to resign from this church because you guys just don't seem to be following me. I just seem to be having trouble. And the song leader came up and he let them sing. Why not now? Finally, the preacher got, got was all unsettled because the song leader led them singing, why not now? And he came to the pulpit and he read his resignation letter. And in his resignation letter, he told the churches, he said, listen, he said this, that he said that the same Jesus that led me here is the same Jesus that's leading me away. The song leader didn't miss a beat. He came up and said, what a friend we have in Jesus. Amen. I remind you this morning as we consider that Paul knew it was his critical moment. He knew at that moment of time that God had led him specifically to that moment of time where they knew God had him there for a purpose. He had a positive perception about things. He was positive at midnight. He prayed and he sang. He prayed and he sang. Yes, he was hurting and yes, he was bleeding and yes, it wasn't pleasant. But he prayed and he sang. Hey, have a positive perception. No matter what you're doing through, God is in it. He had a positive perception. But notice he had a positive, he had a powerful persuasion. Notice verses 26 to 28. They were singing and they were having a good time. And the verse 25 says that the prisoners heard them. Listen, they gave a good witness. They wanted to tell these grumbling, disgruntled prisoners God was on the throne and they knew God was in this matter. And they were using that to get the gospel witness out. And notice verse 26. And suddenly, listen, it's amazing when we have a good attitude, what God does suddenly. And suddenly, the Bible says, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bands were loosened. Watch what happens here. This moment in time, Paul has this positive perception and God is, God, God, well, there's singing and and they're praising God and they're praying. God sends this earthquake. Now we live in California. We understand earthquakes. Amen. People ask it. Have you ever felt an earthquake? And we always say yes, but there's a difference. There's the common ones and then there's the big one. Amen. And the big one's a whole different dynamic. Amen. And so they had a big one right there, the earthquake cave, but it was a monstrous earthquake. I don't know what it was on the Richter scale. It doesn't really matter. I'm just glad I wasn't there when it happened. Amen. But when it happened, the prison doors open. It jarred the prison doors open. And not only that, every prisoner's, the bands on their feet, the wrists, it fell off. I mean, that's how part was. Listen, you can lock people up, but you can't lock God up. Amen. And God was at work there and he started things started happening. And listen, Paul did not waver one moment. He didn't waver one moment as to the perfect will of God. He didn't waver one moment for his suffering. He didn't waver one moment for his hardships there. He knew God was in it. And he said, I'm just going to have a positive attitude. I'm going to make the most of where God has put me. And he prayed and he sang and he prayed and he sang and he had a good attitude. And listen, he was persuading his heart that God was going to do something there. And we noticed this, this jailer this day, the man that was in charge of them, he was put in charge of them in verse 23. And putting them in charge of prisoners basically meant this. If you as a jailer, if you lost one of those prisoners, your life would have to be taken for the life of that, that prisoner. In verse 27, we read the, 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 uh, the prison keeper. He heard the clanging of the doors. He heard the clanging of the chains coming off the wrists and the hands of these men. It waking him out of his sleep. And by the way, I wondered this morning, if God has to give us an earthquake to wake us out of our sleep. Amen. This man went into panic mode. Unlike Paul who had a positive perception, this man had a bad perception. He drew out his sword. He was willing to do. He was about ready to kill himself. He's about ready to kill himself. Hey, you know what? People get that way. When things get too hard, things get too tough, you know what they're thinking? They become suicidal. They're thinking, I'm going to take my life. I'm going to do that. Hey, God has a remedy for that. When you think, when the devil puts your thought to die, the devil puts your thought to take your life, when the devil puts your mind to do something harmful to yourself, notice what the Bible says here. The man had a sword in his hand and would have killed himself. And Paul knew that. Probably even Paul heard the sword come out of the man's sheath. And he heard that. And this is what Paul said. He cried with a loud voice. He said, do thyself no harm. Remind you today, teenager, or adult, do thyself no harm. Don't take your life. Trust God with your life this morning. 
Things were upside down, but he kept believing. And Paul knew God was doing something here. God put him in that prison for one reason. God put him there because there was a new convert in the making. And notice Paul, we see here, he has a positive perception. And notice we see a powerful persuasion. His faith just became stronger. And he preaches out loud in verse 28, do thyself no harm. But notice in verse, verse 29 to 34 as we close, notice a pleasing performance. He calls out for that man. He says, do thyself no harm for we're all here. He says, don't worry. Everything's going to be fine. We're here. Nobody's going to leave here. We, God's got this under control. And God did that because this jailer was at a point in time, like some of you are this morning, who's at a point in time where God needed to have a confrontation with this man. Who's at a point in time this man had to come face to face with knowing who Jesus Christ was, and that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And God had something very important for him. And notice if you read verses 29 to 34, look what happens here. First of all, this man knows there's something, there's something different about that man inside that prison. He's not like a common prisoner. There's something different about that man, Paul. He's praying and he's singing and an earthquake comes and the bands fall off him. And he didn't run away. He says, there's something, there's something different here. And I'm not sure where, what happened to all the lights, but he asked for something. Bring me a light. And he came in and he took that light. And he came in trembling, the Bible says, because he knows that his life could be taken if any prisoner escaped. And he comes in and he drops on his knees before Paul. It should be Paul dropping before his knees. But instead, this man drops on his knees before Paul because he recognizes the power of God was in that prison. The power of God came with Paul into that place as everything was happening there. And he came down and he asked one question. What must I do to be saved? Most important question is, what college uh, is not what college should I go to? The most important question is not what am I going to eat for lunch? The most important question is not who am I going to marry, even though that's important. And the most important question is not where am I going to go for retirement? The most important question is how much money I'm going to make. No, the most important question to ask this morning is what must I do to be saved today? He wasn't just talking about being saved from the sword. He was talking about being saved from going to hell and spending all eternity there. Notice Paul's performance here. What if Paul had gotten discouraged? What if Paul started cursing God? What if Paul got to place that the dark and unknown and the dramatic unfolding and the damaging unbearable affected his spirit and he got negative and he shut his mouth up and didn't say anything? Do you imagine if he did all that, this man would have killed himself? But instead, Paul recognized there was a life at stake and someone that needed God. And at that moment in time, as that man cried out, what must I do to be saved? Paul gave him a scriptural answer. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And I'm probably pleased to tell you, as we read the scripture, that man recognizes need of salvation right there. Paul and Silas started declaring them the gospel. They told him how to be saved. And that man got saved. His wife got saved. Whatever children he got saved. His servants got saved because they lived in that same compound. Everybody got the hurt of the gospel. And I believe maybe even some prisoners inside there got saved. Why did that happen? Because Paul recognized there was a dynamic, unmistakable. Where God puts us is never a mistake. You may be at a place right now, you don't know what the next step is, but it's not a mistake. And you may be at a place right now, you're wondering, why is this all happening to me? It's not a mistake. Notice the Bible says, and they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and he was baptized. He and all straightway. I kind of imagine. I thought, where did Paul baptize him? There must have been a water trough or bathtub somewhere in that man's house where he baptized an entire household. The Bible says in verse 34, when he brought them into his house, he set meat before them, rejoiced, believing God with all his house. You see, this morning as we come to the conclusion, keep believing. Keep believing in spite of the unknown. Keep believing, keep believing as things unfold. <clears throat> keep believing in spite of the undesirable. 
Keep believing because there's something unmistakable. Don't, don't quit on God. Don't give up on God. You say, well, I got rejected. You may be rejected on earth, but you're never rejected in heaven. The closing words we look at this morning is believe. Christian friend, believe. God's not finished with you, and you shouldn't be finished with God. Amen? May I say this morning, keep believing. The start of believing is the way to get saved. And if you're here this morning, no matter who you are, it's not about your religion. It's not about where your membership is. It's not about how good a person you are. The question boils down to this. Have you received God's Son, Jesus Christ, as your personal Savior? Have you called on the Lord Jesus, telling him, he's, telling him, I know you're the only way I can be saved, and trusting him to save you from your sins? This morning, we give you an invitation. Your faith has been shaking. It's been wavering. It could be this morning, God is sending us kind of very silently an earthquake to shake up our spirit, shake up our heart, to drop some bonds that are holding us down and open some doors that seem to be closed so that we don't let the unknown and the undesirable keep us from serving God and worshiping him. And it could be this morning that you're not sure you're saved, but God invites you to get saved this morning, just like this man to ask for a light and come trembling before the gospel message and say, what must I do to be saved? Because God's message is still the same 2,000 years later. Keep believing. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. God loves you. And God's doing everything he can to help bolster your faith and my faith that we just keep believing in spite of the midnight hour. Father, this morning we thank you today for Paul and for Silas, Timothy and Luke. <coughs> From a human perspective, as we see the unfolding of things in this chapter, we could think, why? They were lucky. No, they were not lucky. They were, they were led by the hand of God. It could be this morning that many of us here today, many brothers and sisters in Christ, are fearful to trust you to lead them. They're fearful to trust you with all their heart and believe in what you're able to do and believe in what, God, you can do for their lives. And I pray this morning, realize, God, you never make a mistake. And, God, you're never late. And, God, you're always on time. And God, would you help us this morning, even as Paul, in the midst of things that tried to shake his faith, he kept believing, kept believing, kept believing. This morning, some this morning, their baby, even though the theme has been to keep believing, that their, th- their thought has been, I-, I just don't believe anymore. God, may we believe in the purpose of the church. And this morning, may we believe in your word that God, that your word is a light into our feet and lamp into our path. May we believe just to have a positive perception. May we believe to have a powerful persuasion. We have great faith in God and what God's plan holds for us. Lord, as we give the invitation, help your people to believe. And help some this morning who are not saved to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ this morning to be saved. I wonder today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, how many would say this morning, Pastor Fong, I can remember the day I believed. I can remember the day I believed and asked God's Son, Jesus Christ, to be my Savior. I know that I'm saved and going to heaven. You'd raise your right hand and say, I know I'm saved and going to heaven. How many would say that with me this morning? God bless you. God bless you. A lot of hands went up. Now, if you couldn't raise your hand this morning, can I ask you today? Why is it you couldn't raise your hand? Are you like that jailer? You're trusting your job? Trusting in false securities? I invite you this morning, trust in Jesus Christ to save you. He's not an option. He's the only way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. I invite you this morning. How many would say today, Pastor Fong, I'm not saved, but I want to get saved this morning. I want to be sure that I'm going to heaven. Would you pray for me? Anyone like that this morning? Pastor Fong, I'm not sure I'm saved, but I want to know for sure. I want to know for sure I'm going to heaven. I want to know for sure that my sins are forgiven. I want to know for sure that, I, that I'm a child of God. Would you pray for me this morning? Anyone like that today? Mother, father, husband, wife, anyone like that? Anyone here today, you'd say, I'm not sure I'm saved, but I want to get saved today. 
Oh, Father, this morning, please use the invitation to stir us, Lord, and trust you and believe in you, knowing that, God, you have everything in control to keep believing in spite of the midnight hour. Father, have, have their own way in our hearts, we pray. We pray this in Jesus' name. Let's stand very quickly. Let's stand. The piano's playing. If you need to come, I invite you to come. Don't restrain the Spirit. Don't hinder God's Spirit from working. You come this morning. Is there something unknown? Something undesirable? Or would you just look at all that and say, there's something unmistakable. I know God is in control. Would you come this morning? Would you come today, college student, high school student, someone in a career path where things seem darkened? Would you trust God today? Would you trust God for the unknown? He only needs to give us enough light for the very next step. What if God threw a curveball in your life like he did with Paul and you wound up, you were, you were falsely accused and you're rejected because of your dissent and because of your doctrine and you're accused of being disruptive? What would you do? Would you still trust God? Would your faith still be as strong? I urge this morning, would you be strong in the Lord and the power of his might? Would you come this morning? <clears throat> we'll play another stanza. Please come. Don't wait. You need Christ. Be saved today. Would you come? Father, this morning, all around the room, thank you today. Hearts are tender. Hearts have received the engrafted word, which is able to save souls. But desperately right now, we need our faith bolstered. We need to be strengthened. God, strengthen our faith. Help us to be people of faith and strong in the Lord. Help some who are not, who are not saved. That, Lord, the starting point of faith is believing on Christ to be saved. I pray that they would do that before they leave the church campus. And then for the rest of us today, thank you for giving us assurance and hope and direction for what to do for our lives. Help our faith to be strong. Help lead us and guide us to the principles found in Acts chapter 16 today. And we thank you for this today. Thank you for your goodness and grace. We pray all these things of you, Lord, now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.